and welcome to Trees A Crowd. It is David Oakes here and welcome to the second part of my Trees A Crowd with the literal force of nature that is Aina Ni Lamna. If you haven't heard the first part where we discovered how ugly exactly wood lice think you are, yes, you, then you'd be highly advised to go back and start at the very beginning. That said, if you have, then you know exactly what you've got in store this week. Hold on very tight indeed as we return to Dublin to conclude my interview with the exuberant, ever-ready, Aina Nilamna. In the depth of the forest and old oak the pride of the greenwood there, all his branches the ivy her mantle through when the forest boughs were bare. Oh, the oak and the ivy, oh, the oak and the ivy, oh. One of the things I've always loved is the stories behind things. So um, I was talking to my uh, great aunt, she went up being called my great aunt, but she's, she's my great aunt. She's, she's very good, she's great. She's, she's fantastic, she's great. Um, but she's a botanist, um, and we were talking about me coming over here, and she was talking about the fact that there are no snakes on the island. Yeah. And, uh, obviously everyone knows the story about St. Patrick chasing all the snakes out. But I didn't realise that it was because the Irish body had separated off the European landmass or the whatever it was at that point before the snakes had come over. I didn't Did realize. you not? Yeah, that was that was the first mad. time you got it. Yeah. Sure, you don't really think that's no, I, I, I didn't think it was the ball out in a Rolls Royce or something. No, but I just yeah, I'd yeah, never yeah. sort of gone. We okay. never got here. They're not in Malta either. There's a couple of the Mediterranean islands they're not on. If you go mm. to the if you go to the Canaries, there's no snakes there, for example. They never got here because we we cut away all. And when St Patrick came, he actually <laughs> he actually converted people to Christianity away from the powers of darkness and the evil. And you know, of course, the Garden of Eden. What was Satan only dressed up as a snake? He was pretending to be a snake. Mm-hmm. He was making Eve eat the apple, and then, of course, it's all her fault that everything happened. <laughs> and um, as a come wasn't even an apple, but there you go. But the, the 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 malevolence, the evilness, was portrayed in that as a snake. And therefore, when Saint Patrick converted Ireland to Christianity, obviously those evil things went away, embodied in a in metaphor the story, for yeah. the snake. So it's not as if yeah. it's not as if they actually all curled up and ran away. Actually, we've introduced a slow worm couple of but that's not a snake that's ago. a lizard it's a legless lizard and of course legless means that if you're a legless in Ireland you've had <laughs> too many of the old black kiddos well of all the, le- the lizards to be introduced that makes the, most the sense legless, the legless lizard <laughs> which I mean the horse wouldn't know it wasn't a snake but anyway we don't see too many of them but they did get established in the burn and they are still there but but they're not a snake we, we don't go to split hairs on this are there any other sort of um, indigenous spe- uh, non-indigenous species that we shouldn't have here that are problems oh it's great because you know when I was doing this thing originally in, in the 70s getting people to send in records this and that. So people didn't know what we had. I got records of things that couldn't possibly exist. We have no moles in Ireland, for example. And moles are all over the place in Britain, as far as I could see. Whenever you know moles here? No moles, no. And when I was down in Dublin, down in the, in the centre of town there recently, and they had a Dixon's. Dixon's is a shop that has branches in Britain, as uh-huh. well, as I'm sure you know. And on the counter they had mole traps. All these things that make noises and deter moles uh-huh. on the counter, you see. And um, uh, people kind of know me now because I've been broadcasting for such a long time. So there's a queue of people anywhere. And I got up the top, I says to the young fellow behind the counter, um, I see you have mole traps there. Did they work? Says I. And of course, people behind me were beginning to pay attention because they could hear you. See. And your man says, I said, have you sold many of those? And I said, have you sold many of those? And he said, no, I haven't sold any, actually. And I said, there mustn't be any good. Do they not work? And he says, no, I, I don't know. I mean, they're here. I've had them for ages and I haven't sold a single one. And then, of course, I said, do you, do you 
you know why you haven't sold any? And they're like, Snickers left behind me and they came in. The and I said, we don't have moulds in Ireland. Who sent you over all these mould traps? You know, you're Irish. You're in Ireland. You're selling these mould traps. Nobody buys them. They never occur to you to think. So my son says, oh, Jesus, would you shut up? Man? Stop, for God's sake. And you're not going anywhere. And buy whatever you're bloody buying and come home again. Stop making the show on me, but you know, you know, that's what it is. We don't have any moulds here, no. I didn't know we don't that. have any weasels here. We well, have what? stoats, but we don't have weasels. But you have weasels and stoats. We do. You have both over in your, well, your we neck like, of the woods. We like choice. <laughs> no, just because you got them both, that's all. I mean, Why? you have beech martens. We have pine martens, but not beech martens. We, we, we stopped a thousand years before you got separated with the English mm-hmm. Channel. So we, we only got the first, we got the Speedy Gonzales types. You know, you get smart horse people saying to me, how come we have no snakes in Ireland because they were all getting suntans at the Mediterranean? <laughs> how come we have earthworms then? How did they get here? Well, uh, I said because they were waiting like Samuel Sullivan when the ice melted, they ran up after it and they got in, whereas the snakes didn't bother themselves for ages. But of course, obviously, snakes need more heat than, than the earthworms do. But it's a good question. At least those people who were thinking about it. <laughs> so there's lashes of stuff that we don't have, and lots of trees that we don't have as natives either, like sure. beech, for example, which is native to you lot but it isn't native to us have you got ash dieback here yet yes we have calorie yeah 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 it is well i mean it came over from it came over from holland we Mm -hmm. were very virtuous and good and we got our own seeds and we brought them over to holland to grow them up quicker so that we could plant more ash for our hurleys and they picked up the seeds from their polish neighbors inside in the in the greenhouse inadvertently and came back in like that so people like doing the good thing instead of buying in foreign trees they sent over the irish ones brought them back but because ash are actually or actually came under their own steam, not like some of the species in Ireland where they were brought in as seeds in people's pockets. So there's very little biodiversity in their genetic, you know, makeup. Mm-hmm. Our tree, our ash trees have a bit more. So some of our ash trees are resistant it's to good. the calorie because they're not just like if you think of other species maybe that came in like horse chestnuts we have in the Phoenix Park and they're um they're yeah, suffering from bleeding cancer, yeah, they're but they're they're all the same tree more or less yeah. because they're all they're all practically close of each other. So if one gets it, they all get it. We have a bit more variation. Not a huge amount, but we do have a bit more variation in our ash, which came natively. So when did you start working for the Tree Council of Ireland? I don't work for the Tree Council. Well, you were of the Ireland. vice president of it in, in charge of the vices. Yes, and yes. you were the president. I was the president. It's a three. It's a three year rotation sure. thing. So I was president of Antashka for five years, and then they nabbed me then to be the president of the Tree Council. But these are all honorary terms. Okay. You work for nothing, and if you work for nothing, you're busy every hour God sends, a busy <laughs> fool, indeed. So, I mean, the Tree Council is is an umbrella group of of all of the groups in Ireland that are interested in trees. So we've got about 40 or 50 members, and it'll be all of the different groups like CRON, all the different groups like Trees for Ireland, local authorities, county councils, on Tashka, all of these groups are together in an umbrella group then to to actually make decisions about trees. So if Crown are planting trees, they're planting trees, but the Tree Council are promoting awareness and education about trees. So we have National Tree Week coming up now the last week in March, and that'll be a huge promotion, getting people to go out and plant trees. So the idea that a tree, and this is I find amazing, that the lack of knowledge about this. I mean, if I get an acorn, weigh an acorn, what's an acorn weigh? 20 grams, let's say. Mm-hmm. Plant it in the ground, go away for 15 years and come back and cut down the thing because we're doing an experiment, you understand. And there's a way more than 20 grams. Yes, it does. This is a very convenient tree. It weighs a ton. Mm-hmm. So where did the ton of stuff come from? Uh, from the air. Says you because you believe you'd want to. <laughs> but many people, how many people say it comes from the ground? Yeah. So it comes from the ground. So then there should be a hole under the ground of a ton in weight. Yeah. So is there a big hole under the tree? No, there's not. It didn't come from the ground. Well, it came from the sun. Every time, every time a tree grows, another freckle appears on the sun. Is that right? 
came from the rain. Okay, I get my big strong hands and I squeeze out the tree and I get a ton of water and the 20 grams all stringy. Is that right? No. Well then, what's left? The air. Yeah. Is the tree made of air? No, it's not made of air. It is, it's made of air. And they are gobsmacked. And this, in this day and age, this is the big story that I'm going around. And the tree is made from the carbon molecules in the air. The tree takes the carbon molecules that you, you knew, because you obviously were here last week. You were here last week when I was telling you this. <laughs> And all the carbons are held in the tree and all the oxygen is given off. Now, mind you, the sun provides the energy. Mm. Yeah, mind you, the, the rain is needed to make it happen. It's a biological process. If we didn't have the soil, the thing would fall over. Its roots need to be stuck in there. But it's the only way that we can get carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. Therefore, we need to be planting trees like Jesus all over the place. Ireland is even worse than Britain, I shouldn't tell you. We have only 11% of the country covered in trees. Terrible Britain has 12%. Yeah, You're even better. Sense. I know 12% is not any great shape. No, either. but it's, it's still rubbish compared to the rest of Europe, which I think well, is 49 Well, the rest yeah. of Europe, 29% of the EU is covered in trees yeah. and 70%, I think, of Finland. I mean, they're way up in those in those areas. Yeah. So getting people to plant trees, because see, there's a, an ambivalent attitude towards trees in Ireland. So I was talking with the Wooden Trust, of which I'm an ambassador of recently, and we were talking about it's not just people planting trees in the garden, but which is great, but it's about getting farmers to do it. It's about having... Uh, commercial trees being grown and forested just to get as many things being grown. Everything needs to work together. So I guess my question is, with the Irish Tree Council, are you able to get all of these bodies to work together for the same goal or is it is it very hard to get your arms to talk to your feet and your feet you to think if God and the archangels came down, they wouldn't never mind the Tree Council of Ireland. <laughs> Irish people have an ambivalent attitude towards trees. The house of the planter is known by the trees. This is Seamus Heaney's account of it. Mm-hmm. And the planter, take a bow, the planters are, are the people who came and took our land from us. Now, in 1600, the country was fairly well wooded. By 1700, it was practically all gone. What happened in between? Cromwell. Cromwell came over with us and, of course, took all his adventurers with him. And they got paid if you won. They didn't get paid if you didn't win. The winners took all. But they did win and they got their land, Cromwellian plantations. Now, if you were a Cromwellian soldier that got somebody's nice big lump of land, were you going to hang around and marry the local girl? You were not. You were going to cut down the trees and get your arse out there. It was, it was acid stripping. So, huge death, a huge removal of trees between 1600 and 1700. I mean, 1700 would be the population of 3 million. Uh-huh. Not that much. I mean, it wasn't, you can't blame the population as such. Yeah. It was the acid stripping because that was their pay, which is the way things were. And they had no value. They had no interest in the land. I mean, this was just their pay from being the soldiers. Sure. So so this this was a, a big a big account of when, of course, Cadillac, Image, Fasta, and all sorts of other bones and all kinds of poetry written about it. But then the places that weren't acid stripped were the ones that had jumped ship and became the religion of Cromwell and sure. things. So they had their they had their trees around their estates. They had their peasants working and they had their trees for their own use. So anybody in there looking for game or cutting trees were trespassing and they were kept out in the places then as the population grew enormously then by 1850 our population was eight and a half million and you know an awful lot of people and in any country Africa anywhere today where there's a big huge collection of poor people the trees are all gone but outside Khartoum in Sudan there's not a tree for a 50 kilometer radius not a tree at all to be seen you know so that it's not just an Irish thing in that sense so then the trees then were needed for timber were needed for burning as indeed were the coal but the peat bogs where we didn't have coal Mm. And as a consequence, you're poor. This is what you see. You see the environment as a resource that's going to help you have a proper life. Yeah. And if there's trees or if there's game to be poached or any of these sure. things, why not? So this was this was the attitude then. So well, then by the time we come now. around by the time we come around to nineteen hundred and two, we're still 
still Britain is still minding us, um, they, they get concerned and they're bringing in then, we they set up a place called Avondale in Wicklow and they're testing all the trees that might grow in Ireland because the country is down to 1% of the country covered in deciduous trees this stage. It got that bad. 1% of forest and then there's, there's hedgerows might be another 1% uh-huh. or whatever, about, about that. And try to if you go down to Avondale today still there's all these pl- all these plots where they're trying the different things uh-huh. and various evergreen trees obviously grew much better than the native deciduous ones sure. because if you're evergreen you have your leaves all the year round we have a warm country relatively speaking to mm-hmm. Siberia and places things can grow in the winter if they have their leaves sure. so they're going to grow much quicker these ones and there was all kinds of ones tested and tried and Sitka spruce from from um, British Columbia the other side of of, of the uh, Rockies was going to be one that was doing very well. And these were all done then. In the meanwhile, then we had 1916 and then mm-hmm. we had 1921 and we had all that kind of carry on. And then we were in charge of ourselves. Right, we'd roll up our sleeves. And we had a wonderful man called Eamon de Valera who was um, emerged from the, the gunshots as the as the, the, the president or the Taoiseach, the Prime Minister sure. for a long time. And he they took power in 1930s. And their attitude was that... Um, you wouldn't plant trees on any kind of land that was good enough to farm. We must be farmers. We had 250,000 farmers. Mm-hmm. We must farm. We must grow stuff. We can't be dependent on Britain. Burn everything British except it's coal. This was the mantra. <laughs> so as a consequence, as a consequence, you only could plant trees on areas too poor to support farming. And uh-huh. what would grow? Sitka spruce. Sure. So huge amounts of Sitka spruce were planted, which grew up on tops of mountains. Grew yeah, well, I saw loads the other day up on the yes. yeah. That was then. That was then. Now, that was in the 1930s and 40s. And of course, um, everything else then was for growing food or potatoes or corn or whatever we needed to eat. We joined the EU then in the 1970s and we brought in various common agricultural policies. So the people who were on the land then were given grants and were given given stuff to, to produce. I mean, at one point we had three million sheep. Everybody got grants to have sheep. We had eight million sheep. Sure. People were having sheep on their front lawns in Dublin, practically, because you got a grant to have these. And the sheep ate all of the heather, all of the grass off the mountaintops. Yeah. Any excess of any one In other countries, not just here. And then we got grants there not to have sheep. So one week you were getting a grant to have the sheep, next week you were getting a grant not to have the sheep. When can we get so, to So a as a consequence, you see, the, the idea then that, that you planted trees, I wanted to encourage trees then at a great rate, they brought in all kinds of uh-huh. tree stuff in the 1990s. But if you plant trees then, the trees are on your land and that's it. You cannot agriculture again. Once those trees are felled for, for, for a crop, you must replant them with trees. So if you're only after getting your land back from the British landlord, if you're only after getting rid of the Cromwellian soldier, because our memories mm. go back a very long time, why would you imprison your good land with trees when you could be getting grants from the EU to put nitrogen on the land, to grow cattle, sure. to put, you know, the poor old cattle wouldn't make any money unless you were getting so many grants to support them, they wouldn't in the free market do it. So do you think we are finally getting to a stage where people might be doing something not because they get a grant to do something to force one kind of monoculture? Do you think we're now going to sort of start looking at biodiversity as, as something supportable? Because the, the benefits of that are huge. And I, the EU seems to be leaning into that slightly. They're wanting to get more trees on farmland, for example, because of the the, the water storage that it gets in the ground, the uh, the diversity of insect life, bird life, and the way that that propagates a more sustainable ecosystem. Do you think Do you think we're intelligent enough to start doing that? You'll know. Okay. <laughs> well, some people are. But, you know, there's a huge, a huge um, still 
lobby in Ireland against trees, against so the people that have the farms. It's just the farming communities again. Don't know. The people, some of the people who have the farms have realised that this isn't going to work. Their sons don't want to be working uh-huh. in the poorer parts of Ireland in the farm that's not going to get, and they, they don't come back. So they, they when they inherit the few acres, then they, they um, plant it out. Mm-hmm. But the neighbours then, who are, and this is the awful thing, here I'm putting on my own Tashka hat now, <laughs> but there's a huge amount of one-off housing in Ireland that you don't get in Britain. Sure. So you're working in the town, but you're living 10 miles out the countryside yeah. because your father might have given you a site or you just want to live out there. Even though you've no business living out there, you're not farming, you have no business in that parish as such. Like a holiday home, basically. No, you live there and then you drive in and out to work every day, burning fossil fuels, yeah. and you love your view across the valley. So when the other two neighbours now have sold their land and have put their sitka spruce on it or whatever they put on, you protest that your view, which is your God-given right, is taken away by this. So... As I said, trees in Ireland don't mention it because this is this is the thing, and then and then of course is a monoculture of any particular species biodiversity either from uh-huh. that point of view. So it's not just art and trees a good thing. Let's go all about and plant them. It ain't so. It ain't so. But on the other hand, the other way around is that people who who aren't farmers, people who aren't in charge of land, people who are living in towns and there's more people in Ireland now living in rural living in urban areas than there are in rural areas who mm-hmm. don't have gardens who don't have space to plant trees are becoming extremely aware of the fact these ones who know that the only way to get the carbon out of the atmosphere is to plant a tree and they're flying around the world in aeroplanes and they want to make recreation for their sins sure. so they're then interested in doing this so there's a, there's a groundswell of of opinion coming from not the land not not all. I mean, some of the landowning people are very good. I'm not tarring them all with the same brush mm-hmm. by any manner of means. But there is an urge coming from the well-heeled middle classes in the urban areas to to be planting that trees. You know, and that's I suppose one way of looking at it. And they'll want to be planting trees where, obviously, not in the middle of Dublin. Mm-hmm. So you know, three council, three council has various places that we have around the country, probably belonging to scouts and places like that, where people can go online. You can make a donation, and this donation is spent planting a tree to you who live in an apartment on the fourth floor and has a window box sure. for your spouse or your baby or your, or your mother or, or, or just to offset or just your to international debts, yes, I yes, think. Yes, yes, indeed, yes. So if, if you could personally uh, instate one policy on all of Ireland... Oh, wouldn't I love to be a dictator? <laughs> charge for the day. What would you do? Well, what would I do indeed? The power would probably go to my head. <laughs> but I don't know. We'd, we'd, have to, we'd have to certainly, you know, plant more trees per force. But you can't do anything per force because that Mm -hmm. won't work, you know. So back to what I'm doing already, I mean, you can't make people do things. You have to make people want to do things. And how do you make people want to do things? Only you tell them about it. I mean, we'll we'll only conserve what we things we love. We only love what we know. And we only know what we've been taught. Education, education, education. So everyone should get a primary school teacher to read a book about... Wildlife no, 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 no. There, there should be more time allocated to this in primary schools. Oh. There should be more. There definitely shouldn't. I mean, you can go to primary school now, and it's on the curriculum now since the 1990s, and there's environmental studies all the way to sixth class. You go into secondary school, and you could escape in secondary school not learning anything else. You don't have to do science, not compulsory. Mm-hmm. I mean, most people do it, but you don't. But even if you do science, it's physics and chemistry and biology, and a small weeny bit at the end of that intercert or junior cert course on ecology and then you don't have to do biology for your leaving cert so you can still manage to escape out of Ireland's educational system knowing very little about it and they're the ones who are still in charge they're the county managers they're the ministers I mean the minister Bruton the other day I was interviewing him him, and he was talking about 
wind farms, I was talking about transport, and I was saying, you know, and he said, oh, we have to have, we have to have coal burning stations and we have to have peat burning stations because the wind doesn't blow all the time. But we have one, we have one coal burning station in Money Point, and it was out for six months last year because there was something wrong with it. Uh-huh. And I was able to say, I said, well, listen, we didn't have Money Point for the last six months because it was broken down, and you know that. So yeah. the wind blew or it didn't blow, and we, the lights didn't go out. We have two te- two peat burning stations. One of them had been closed down for a while because the discharge into the Shannon was raising temperature too much. So we had one peat burning station, and the world didn't go to hell in a handcart. Minister, you could close all those down with a stroke of your and they got mad and he said if you're so smart why aren't you the minister there you go and, so there, that's, and that's there's a the solution that's a job for me but you know this is the thing it's the will to do it now yeah. obviously the people who work there would be out of a job and this is this is this is awful that people should be out of a job but their jobs could be reinstated as reconstructing the boxes mm-hmm. putting them back having them as wonderful sources of how are the peat bogs doing at the yeah. moment because there's a lot of there's a big movement in in England certainly and in Scotland as well just to preserve the peat bogs 16% point. down to 3% yeah what would you be what would you do the bogs are where you dump your rubbish yeah. what would you be wanting to do I mean it's a pretty unfortunate thing if most of land is all bog if you could get that drain down and plant it up wouldn't it be great you know, so we've got to value the bogs, and then why should I, who have a bog, have to keep my bog and not and not um, do anything to it? Because you are both in Dublin, and would like to walk on it one day a year. Mm-hmm. So, and this is what's happening now. People are beginning to be, and that's where I put my money to to compensate the people who own the high value land from environmental points of view mm-hmm. into into preserving it. I mean, eighty five percent of Irish land is owned by farmers. Sure. So they're in so charge. It's about eighty percent yeah. in the UK. Yeah, right? and then that's banned. So therefore, if they if they're not because of the common good, I meant to keep the thing the way it's on a certain way. Well, then why should they have to be poor and suffer from this? Yeah. And if we don't do it, we're going to be paying EU fines. I know you won't. I'm we won't. No more fines for no us. We, fines for we're you, so no. much better off outside so the better EU. Off indeed, yes. Really happy about that. So much better off indeed. But, you know, so if they're going to be paying the money on a fine, why not pay the money in the first place? Sure. You know, and this this is this is the point. So so that's, that's the attitude, trying to get the environment first and foremost, that instead of it being the enemy and we have to kicking and screaming, pay carbon taxes, we have to do this. Sure. We should want to do this. And that's what I'm about. <laughs> you, you're I, not much good at it, are you? But whoever, I'm still at it. I feel like I could speak to you forever. However, uh, you're I'm, running out of tape. I'm running out of time. Um, we've got three, I've got three questions that I ask everyone who comes on the podcast. Um, the first one is, if you could go for a walk anywhere in the world right now, where would it be? I like down this minute. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'd walk along the daughter. The daughter was great at the moment. That's just the river down at the end of the road. Mm-hmm. And it's everything is coming up. It's burgeoning. I was down there the other day and there's a fox that sort of lies at the bridge the other side of the river. Nobody can get at him. And he's as cute as a fox. He knows very well that nobody can get there. Sure. In fact, it's a vixen. It's a female. And poses and gives its good side. You've always seen pictures of it in the paper. Then you go down another bit and there's a weir and all the dippers are beginning to come out again. Mm-hmm. I saw one yesterday hopping up and down like his legs were going from under him. And sometimes if you're really lucky and all the people with the dogs aren't there, You'll see a kingfisher. There's I a, love kingfishers. There's a, an egret goes along. There's a cormorant. A cormorant, if you wouldn't be minding, up on top of the chimney and comes swooping down occasionally. You've got the birds all singing, little tweety ones, you know, and lovely ones. And mm-hmm. I've even heard, a, even in February now, I heard a, heard a great tip the other day. Teacher, 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 like it's been pumped up. All of this, along with the river. Sure. Why wouldn't you? I mean, if I could do a walk anywhere, but I can just walk out the door and I'm there in five minutes. Do any of those species have an interesting name when said in Irish? Like, because in a kingfisher, for example, in German is Eisvogel, which means ice bird, which I've always thought was beautiful. Well, there's a wonderful thing that's just appearing now. It's looking at their arrow-shaped leaves and it's the arum lily. 
Now, the Arab lily has various names, as I don't know whether you're familiar with the plant or not, but it's got a, it's got a lovely um, hood, a lovely sort of a purpley uh, big lily type thing. And then it has the a spadic sticking up the middle of it, which is kind of a sticky up yoke, which smells of rotten flesh. And mm-hmm. the flies all come thinking that it's something um, rotten inside mm-hmm. and they all go down. The hairs only bend one way and they all get caught inside. Sure. And eventually one comes covered in pollen from another one, pollinates the thing and then the hairs all collapse. And the, plant as a cigarette and then they all escape clever they all escape now so that's called lords and ladies Mm -hmm. because the lady is the cloak and the lord is the thing sticking up the middle it's called um, parson in the pulpit but in Irish it's called bud gaia which means well gaia is the Irish word for a dog and bud is the Irish word and people are always amazed that there's bold words in Irish so bud is the Irish word for a penis Bud Guy, I'm telling you. I tell that in schools, they're all in looking up their Irish dictionaries. So, I, uh, having read the the primary school teacher book, the lords and ladies are in that book. Yeah, does but... it also include the reference to the penis? No, of course not. You want it to be banned. Because <laughs> if you want that book to be read by all the students, that's the way to put it. But it's a teacher's book. It's a teacher's book. <laughs> I remember getting a dictionary at secondary school and all of us, we did, we just ring all the rude words and just go through. But it was very funny when I did say it in one school, the kids came back in and looked up the Irish dictionary and the teacher said, where do you all look it up the Irish dictionary? And then the kids were saying, we didn't know there were bold words in Irish. We thought it was all prayers. Because you see, when you say hello in Irish, you say, gee, you're good, may God be with you. And you say, you know, you know, she spurred she'd say God and Mary with you and it's all mm-hmm. kind of holy things and they always assumed that the Irish language was full of like holy things and to discover that there, I said it was a real language people spoke it did wonderful courses in Irish much better than the old F word that the English language only has one but I mean in Ireland Christianity came over no but there's good courses in it I mean you can say that you may die roaring I mean that's much better than telling somebody to hump off themselves in an Anglo thing that you know that hell won't be hot enough and eternity won't be long enough for the likes of you I mean these are proper courses in Irish I'm just translating them into English for you now you know <laughs> but you know these are the kind of things that you want not ball for yourself sure. with the bad F word that's, that's not it we've much better we've more vocabulary than that okay second question um, should we colonise the moon no of course not are you mad <laughs> you've wrecked the place down here already leave the moon alone did anyway, you, it's no good. You couldn't have a party on the moon. There's no atmosphere. Do you think there might be somewhere out there that we could colonise? Should we move? Should we explore? Are you interested in what kind of botany could exist on a Goldilocks planet somewhere nope, orbiting another? Nope, no idea. We banjacked this planet. Why on earth would you let us off to do something somewhere else? Let us become extinct like every other species that can't look after itself. You look back for the five billion years or four and a half billion years, this earth is species have come and species have gone and we'll go too, just to wear up ourselves and don't want to. And we don't have to go so quickly. A million years is not very long. Mm-hmm. I mean the dinosaurs and all those stupid things that had no brains yeah. lasted much longer. We don't have but why would we go off and banjack somewhere else? There's a wonderful book by Kurt Vonnegut called Galapagos and the whole book is about how these ridiculously sized brains we had were just the worst thing that could have possibly happened, evolutionarily speaking. And it took it, so long to, to learn anything. Yeah. yeah. It was just too busy sort of thinking about things that we forgot to learn a single iota of... of he has of a each. point. He yeah. has a point, yep. Um, okay, third question, final question. Um, if you could bring any species back from extinction, what would it be? Unicorns. <laughs> No, I mean, you can't bring a species back from extinction. I mean, just talk now, just talk about just sort of mothering occasionally about reintroducing wolves into Ireland. This would mm-hmm. be great because wolves were here before and yep. there's wolves' names in the place names. But you can't bring something back to an environment that has completely changed. So the reason why bring something back from extinction, why was it made extinct? It was because the environment in which it lived 
changed. But, so but if you were to that. bring back the dodo, you'd have to make sure your island was completely rat free, or you're yeah. only bringing it back to be made extinct again. But but we're all but we have been talking about bringing back trees that we've removed. Um, like we are capable of learning and changing and realizing the implications of things. And as trees are essential for a active ecosystem, certain animal species help create a successful cyclical. Yeah, keystones, keystone yeah. species, indeed. So, yeah. I mean, surely the argument, therefore, is that we can bring and probably should try and bring these things back. No, no, we shouldn't try and bring these <laughs> things back because the world has changed. I yeah. mean, you bring them back to a world that, I mean, if, look at this, what's the temperature now? Much higher than it was. Take something, you really have to go way back to, I don't know, the Carboniferous era to bring sure. something back 350 million years ago to get a world that's equivalent to now. So, I mean, it's, it's not fair to the poor thing. You dig it up and bring it back, and then it says, ah, I was here before, and those got rid of me. Here I am back again. I'll be a slow, a slow long, lingering death again. You can't bring things back from the, from the past unless you change the environment to suit them. And if you're going to change the environment, why not change the environment to suit the stuff we have and stop it going extinct? Sure. I mean, there's 70, was it 60% of animals in the world have gone since the 1970s. Not 60% of species, but the actual physical numbers have gone down by 60%. Yeah. So like if you want to be doing things, would you then take your haze off taking stuff from the spending money, getting things from that are extinct and put your put your put your pro put your um, ability and put your resources into actually keeping what we have here. Instead of, I mean we're on the we're in the middle of a sixth extinction. You know, so what we bring back from what's been made extinct, the Tasmanian tiger that went extinct last week. You know, that's what you want to be doing. But you're looking back into that's mad. If you have money to waste, you have too much money. If that's the kind of thing you're going to spend it on. Do you think that we should go extinct? Do you think we deserve it sooner rather than later? Or do you think we should have the right to preserve ourselves? That's a dark question. But well, of course we mean we have the right to do anything because we are humans. We are in charge. <laughs> we are it. But uh, now we should be bright enough to keep ourselves alive. And sure. That's the problem. You know, I mean, this attitude that what did, what did like Henry Ford, what did posterity ever do for us is not going to get us anywhere. You know, we're the generation that had it all. My grandmother lived the way we're trying to get our grandchildren to live. Mm-hmm. So if you look at the graph going up and down, our grandpeople didn't have plastic. I remember the plastic bag my mother had. She kept it for years because she used to keep the salt in it. That was their plastic bag. It was a great thing. Mm-hmm. Houses were wired rubber. There wasn't any plastic wires and houses went on fire regularly because yeah. of this. But that's their own fault for having electricity anyway. Although I expect, <laughs> I expect houses went on fire from candles and lamps before then. So so like the, 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 the huge rise in all of this happened with our generation. And now we want to go back to our grandparents' time without the poverty. We need to live in the past. If we have huge, if we have huge big brains, surely it's got we can work as ours. And I hope we do. I mean, I I'm very concerned about going into schools and saying we're all going to hell in a handcart because that's leading to mental illness, leading to depression, it's leading to people saying, well, there's no point in going on further. And we have huge brains. We evolved these huge brains. Let us use them. Fantastic, Aina, brilliant, lovely. I've had such fun. I've just been sitting here giggling for the last hour and a quarter. Yeah, people say I've always given it out to people and tell them what they should do. But um, why should they change now? Can I, one other question, which isn't strictly related to the environment. Is there a particular Irish poem or... I mean, I th- so I was in Glen Delach the other day uh, because of this, the Seamus Heaney thing about uh, St. Kevin and catching the sparrow, I think it is. Well, a bird, a bird, yeah, a blackbird. It was a blackbird, black actually. Um, the madman. He must have held it out straight for six weeks. Well, I didn't realise. There there's the other story. There's the one about him catching the blackbird and then there's the other one about him pushing a prostitute off a mountainside. 
Ah, yeah, they, they were written from the men's point of view. He held out his hand in prayer. He didn't catch the blackboard. The blackboard landed in his hands of Bilton S. The poor man was transfixed with a paroxysm of, of uh, inspiration from prayer and the blackboard landed in his hands. Then St. Kevin was a... Um, what would you call him? A mass? What do you call the people that don't like women? A misogynist. A misogynist. He was one of those. And he didn't want to. He didn't want to live with everybody else. So he went off to live by himself in a cave in the mm-hmm. Rock. But you know, you can't eat the walls. So people had to bring him food and stuff. And some women were bringing him food and things. And then he decided that they were a temptation to him because he was so perverted. He thinks all women are Eve and whatever. And whenever someone came, he decided that he wasn't having her and beat her up and threw her up. But she wasn't a prostitute. Anyone that wanted to have had to do with that fellow with a bird sitting in the sand he hadn't washed his life. <laughs> women aren't that hard up. Go on. <laughs> Depends who's writing the story. Come on, she wasn't a prostitute. I'm sure he didn't pay her a penny. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, We'll leave it on that. Thank you very much. Much appreciated. Aina started the first part of my interview with her by saying any day you wake up and don't learn anything is a poor day. Now I challenge you to raise your hand if you didn't learn something stunning from Aina and leave grinning from ear to ear. Aina, thank you so very much for being absolutely fantastic. For further information on everything we discussed in this podcast, head along to treesacrowd.fm. We'll be back again in a week, this time from Northern Ireland. It is the Trees A Crowd Grand Tour. Until then, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, subscribe, tell your friends, keep listening to this over and over again. Keep well, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Oh, the oak and the ivy Oh, the oak and the ivy Oh, the oak and the ivy